Shalom. I want to just give a quick uh, podcast about being B'nai Yosef, sons and daughters, children of Yosef. And specifically, when we mention Yosef, it is pretty much code for Mashiach ben Yosef. So with this podcast, I want to basically title it B'nai Yosef. And my name is Amet, and I am a Talmud of Rabbi Griffin with Sar Shalom, with Lapid, and I also go by the name of Shummerman. So uh, anyway, to give all that introduction, just to let you know I'm not some crazy person. Well, I am crazy, but I'm crazy for Shem. So um, what I want to start with is the very words of Messiah Yeshua himself, coming from Matid Yahu. Matthew chapter 28. If you really understand these few verses that I'm about to share, then you will realize that the past, I don't know, at least 2,000 years have been such chaos that could have been avoided. Is Yes, I'm talking about Catholicism, talking about Crusades, talking about Inquisition, I'm talking about Holocaust. I'm talking about the medieval times. I'm talking about <clears throat> all of the tragedies that have fallen out from the persecution of the Talmudim of Mashiach Yeshua, the dispersion of the believing Yehudim, and the instituting of a new religion based off of the descendants of Esau, commonly known as Esau which is commonly known as Rome, which is commonly known as Christianity. One of the other things that you have to know about what has seemingly developed over this time is there is another appendage that goes with Asav, which is Yishmael, which is Islam. Now, Ishmael himself, he made Shuva, at the end of his life, when you read the story about Chaye Sarah and going into Toldot, you can kind of see the repentance that uh, that Yishmael underwent, but not necessarily his descendants, because if you remember, he married pretty much everything that wasn't Jewish. <clears throat> so if you look at really what's going on with Christianity and Islam, it's everything that isn't Jewish, but there are fragments of it. And that's not meant to be a slam. That is actually just meant to bring some clarity and awareness because Chrislam is beginning to be a thing. And Chrislam has always been a thing. And it's actually been something that we as Yehudim are constantly having to make atonement for through things like the half shekel, through the graciousness of Hashem and giving us the Shabbat, through the Yom Kippur service in remembrance of the Akedah, we're constantly going through this, these processes, this process of atonement. Now, you may be saying, what do you mean? Okay, so where I want to go with this is to basically, I'm going to go to Shavile Pincus. And Shavile Pincus is a contemporary uh, rabbi, and I commonly call him Show enough pinkus. So he's commenting on Parsha Kitisa uh, from 5778 about this golden calf. And what you have to know is that he 
basically in page five of his weekly uh, send-out, he takes a bunch of sources, conglomerates them, puts them together, makes a very, very beautiful tapestry of Get You Some. And on page five, this is what it, he titles this section. The Kedusha of the Shabbat nullifies the Klippa of Yishmael and Asaph. He says, let us explain why Shabbat observance constitutes atonement for the golden calf. Now, when I was saying Krizlam, I'm also wanting to tie that back to the golden calf because that is the epitome of Krizlam, which is the Christianity and Islam, the two faiths coming together. Yes, that is existing. And yes, that has been developing over the past 2000 years, because again, when we move away from Jewish thought and move towards uh, really fulfilling the desires of the Yetzahara, that's what ends up happening because the Yetzahara is opposed to the ways of Torah. This is why, oh no, don't be under the law of Moses. I thought you believed in Jesus. And it's just like, by the very fact that you would say that, you're by default exclaiming that you don't really know Jesus. Now, Jesus is a name that actually does not compute when it comes to the actual name of the Messiah in Hebrew text and Aramaic text. It's actually Yeshua. And you can go back into the Tanakh and actually see the full name is Yehoshua. And we know a character named Yehoshua whose name is Joshua in English. <clears throat> so Yeshua and Joshua are actually the way that you would actually translate between the Hebrew and the English and the Aramaic and the English. And this is actually the name that the Messiah was called by during his ministry here on the earth. He's still called by this in Hebrew texts. He's still called by this in prayer books. If you have a Rosh Hashanah prayer book called a Machzor and a prayer book is called a Siddur, you look into this and you'll find that there's one who is called Yeshua, Kohen Gadol, specifically Yeshua Kohen Hagadol, like Yeshua, the great high priest. And yes, that is reference to Zechariah. He talks about that there is one name, Yeshua, who stands before Hashem and he's called a priest. And then if you get into Targums, there's actually talks of, of, of an angel named Yeshua who actually descends to Gehenna to preach to those who have been placed in captivity. And so all of that to say, if you go throughout the Basora, if you go throughout the Igerot, which is the, the gospel accounts and the letters, which is commonly known as the canon of Matthew through Revelation, you'll start to see all these things come together. But anyway, uh, over the past 2000 years, this very canon has been used to defragment from Judaism, to undock, to unhitch, to uproot. And I spent a lot of time this past Shabbat actually in Parsha Korach and in Parsha Bereshit because the golden calf actually ties those two Torah portions together, interestingly enough, because they both have to do with rebellion. Specifically, the fact that the golden calf is likened to the original sin, the first original sin. And remember, there are three things that are called the original sin. It is the eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It is worshiping the golden calf and it is the sale of Yosef. 
So those are all codified in Jewish thought as original sin that we are still having to make atonement for. And specifically, uh, Legends of the Jews says there is no tragedy that befalls the Jewish people that does not have any that uh, that basically comes from the result of our worshiping the golden calf. So there's no sin or no there's there is no tragedy that befalls the Jewish people is not because of the result of the golden calf. So everything that we experience, it has something to do with the golden calf. Okay, which again is Chrislam, which is Christianity, and uh, Islam, which is Asaf and Yishmael, which is all broken through the Shabbat. And you have to break that up. And so <clears throat> I have not read my passage of Matid Yahu yet, I realize. But bringing all this backdrop, because like I said, if you read this Matid Yahu passage, you would really understand what the actual path should have been had everyone completely stuck and stayed firm to what Mashiach led out for, led out with for us. And obviously centuries of persecutions and all sorts of tragedies will obviously change up the human uh, plans and perceptions. So uh, without further delay, continuing with Shodnaf Pincus, he says that there's a teaching from B'nai Yisakar from Shabbat 1 and 10. And it says, explaining a quote from our blessed sage, sages of Shabbat 118. If the people of Israel had only kept the first Shabbat, no nation or people would have ever ruled over them. As it says, it happened on the seventh day that some of the people went out together and it is written and after that, Amalek came. It is essential to understand the connection between the observance of the first Shabbat and the reign of the nations over the world of Israel. So, <clears throat> obviously, in uh, Parsha Beshalach, we see about the people doubting whether Hashem is with us or not. And Hashem is like, Oh, really? You doubt me? Well, I'm taking away everything that that shows that I'm with you. And here comes a group of people that are actually descendants of Asav and they're going to kill you now. And so it's just kind of like, what? So yeah, there were people kicked out of the clouds of glory because they doubted Hashem and they were left outside the camp. And literally it says Moshe, Aharon and Hur went to the top of a mountain and prayed while Yehoshua and men that he selected went out and did battle against Amalek. And as long as Moshe kept his hands in the air, there would be victory. And if Moshe's hands went down, then Amalek would gain the upper hand. And Rebbe Nachman brings out that Moshe's hands in the air are actually called Amuna. And the word for Moshe lifting his hands in the air is actually the word Amuna. And so it's like of Moshe's hands, as long as they're up, then there would be victory. So if you ultimately tie this down to what is it saying? It is saying as long as you walk by faith, upholding the Torah of Moses, then you would have victory over Amalek. So let's apply that to the past 2000 years. What has Amalek been doing other than gathering more forces and becoming stronger 
And if anyone decides to even try to touch Moshe's hand or lift Moshe's hand nonetheless, or even more so, then there's greater persecutions. Many of us who were former followers of the faith of Asav, which is Christianity, and developed by Rome, okay? Because that's where that came from. You don't see really any Christianity in the Basora anywhere. You only find it even after the letters have been written. You find it around 100, maybe very, very early, if you find it that way. But at least about 300 or so, yeah, the rise of Constantine and the height of the Roman Empire and all this kind of stuff going on. I mean, it's really just kind of kicking up and everything. So <clears throat> not to really get into too much of the history of that, but just know that Christianity was a developed faith that came after really the destruction of the temple, the dispersion of the Jews, and the suppressing of the belief in Messiah Yeshua as the Jewish Mashiach. Because upon the destruction of the temple, which happened in 70 CE, the year of 70, which is after the death of Shaul. So Shaul, as long as he lived, he saw the standing of the temple. Temple service was in effect, in full effect, I might add. And he died three years or so before the temple was actually destroyed. So to really say that he was out of touch with Judaism and really pushing us somewhere else would be very, very false and slanderous to his account. And so we talk about Lashon Hara being a big thing, and uh, that's Lashon Hara at its finest. So if we're actually seeing that Shaul is against Torah, then we need to really kind of look back at ourselves and say, hey, what's, what's the deal? Because if we're saying he's anti-Torah, then we're actually slandering him. And that's bad. That's really, really bad. And he's not even around to defend himself. And uh, that is just sad that 2,000 years of, well, I mean, wasn't 2,000 years of that for him because, you know, really his letters weren't dispersed worldwide until at least about 1600 because that's when this final canon of Matthew through Revelation was really in effect. So some of the popular letters that we know that Shaul wrote uh, they had their circulation around the communities, but not as an overall of like, hey, if we're a believer in Yeshua and a follower of this faith, then we need to be reading these letters. That wasn't the way it went. You know, it wasn't like letters determine my faith. What determined my faith was the Tanakh, you know, which is Bereshit through Malachi. And furthermore, since we know about the Messiah, his teaching, his ministries and everything that the Talmudim taught, we followed that, you know. And so when it got into introducing the letters and really the persecutions and no more Jews to really stand up and say, hey, yeah, we believe in Yeshua and we teach Torah and gospel and letters. I mean, bringing down all the teachings of oral Torah, because when you say Torah, you have to say there are both. There are two Torahs that are actually one. You can't have one without the other. Because if you do, you err into destruction of your own amuna. So if you want to say, I don't want any written Torah, I just want the oral Torah. Well, then you don't even want the oral Torah because the oral Torah is compiled via the written Torah. So anytime you get into the oral Torah, you're going to mention passages of oral Torah. 
So if you really think about it, you can't have even the written Torah unless you have the oral Torah. And you can't have the oral Torah unless you have the written Torah. They have to go together. Which again, if you read the letters, the letters of Kepha, the letters of Yochanan, the letters of Yehuda, the letters of Yaakov. If you read any of those letters, they all contain passages of Tanakh, passages of oral Torah. So what does that mean? That means that the whole thing has to be linked back to Torah and Judaism, which means these books are not Christian books. These books are not authored by Christianity. So that means the commentaries, unless they're founded and connected back to Torah, they're they're wrong. They're in error. And, you know, it's just kind of like, wow, can you really say that? Well, yeah. Because how are you going to take the Torah and say, well, yeah, I know the Torah says this, but this is what it means now. Unless you're Bezalel or Moshe or Aharon or Pincus or Eliyahu or Adam or Yaakov or Yitzhak or, or, or Moshe. Like, unless you're any of those people, I, I don't want to hear it. Did I mention Abraham, Yosef, David, Ezra, Nehemiah, Mordecai, Esther? I mean, that's what we're talking about. So uh, just a side note on the law of Moses. The Midrash Rabbah on Parashat Kitisa has one of the most epic drops about Moshe coming down with the sapphire tablets while the people are worshiping the golden calf. And he is blocked by five angels ready to take him out. And he uh, does a moonwalk back up the mountain to Hashem and says, Hey, Hashem, I cannot get down because these angels are about to kill me. And Hashem's like, oh, well, here's the exit. It's called the Path of Teshuvah. And it's funny because this Path of Teshuvah is a, is a tunnel that is underneath the throne of Hashem, which is the same place that the King Manasseh, like Manasseh the disaster, the very powerful king of Israel, who did so much horrible stuff and broke so much Torah and finally was in captivity and in prison. And all he had was a little hole of sunlight in his dungeon. And he decided to cry out to Hashem from there and really turn his heart over to God. And it says that angels shut up all the doors, the windows and everything of Hashemayim so that his prayers would not make it to Hashem. This is literally Midrash on this. Uh, I know it's in the Apocrypha. Mighty Haver has even more sources on this. So if you want to really get the full scoop, you can talk to him because his name is actually Menashe. And he has this whole story about that's why his name is Menashe. So just talk to him about that. It's absolutely epic. So, um, But anyway, the long story short is that the only way... Melek Menashe's prayers could actually make it to Hashem is through this tunnel that was underneath his throne. And that's the same way that Moshe was able to leave Shemaim and make it to the camp to bring down the sapphire tablets. So had that place not been available for him, we would have never even gotten the Torah while we were in our sin, dancing around the golden calf. So anyway, that's a whole backdrop. So, um, but anyway, the golden calf... To really get to the point here, I'm going to go back to um, page three in the same Pincus uh, drop here. It says, Takuni Zohar, Takun Shani 5, 142a. The Rama of Pano writes, they stated in the Agada 
that the upper half towards its head resembled an ox eating grass. The lower half towards its tail resembled a donkey. These represent two elements of the klipa. Regarding this unholy and proper union, they proclaimed, These are your gods, O Yisrael. We find an incredible explanation regarding this unusual form of the eagle, which is the word for calf. In the teachings of the divine Makubal, the author of Megale Amukot on Vaeknon 71, he says, I have taken the liberty of attempting to decipher his meaning based on the precious clues he presents elsewhere. And he says, the Gemara Sanhedrin 59b discusses the fact that the legs of the primordial serpent, which is the Nechash Hadkadmoni, were amputated after it caused Adam and Hava to sin by partaking of the Eitz Hadas, the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It was taught in a Bereta, Rabbi Shimon ben Manasseh says, It is unfortunate that a great servant was lost from the world. For had the serpent not been cursed, each and every one of Yisrael would have had two good serpents as servants. One would, would send, one he would send to the north and one he would send to the south to bring him gems, precious stones and pearls. Furthermore, it would have been possible to attach a strap beneath its tail and have it take out soil to his garden and to his ruin. So furthermore, it would have been possible to attach a strap beneath its tail and have it take out soil to his garden and to his ruin. So, yeah, so that's interesting. Then it says, so the, the Megale Amukot says concerning the passage of the primordial serpent, it was a single creature because now we're saying had the serpent not lost his legs, would have had, we would have had two, ser two good serpents as servants. So it's just like, but it's one serpent. So why are we talking about two? Megale, Am Megale Amukot is saying, so it's a single creature. And it says, Rabbi Shimeon ben Manasha opens his remarks by referring to the original solitary serpent. So why does the Gemara conclude mentioning two serpents? So each and every one of Yisrael would have had two good serpents as servants. One he would send to the north and one he would send to the south. So Megale Amukot explains, Yishmael represents the contamination and impurity of Abraham's attribute of chesed. He is the klipa's version of chesed, known as the klipa of the donkey. Okay, notice in the Akida story that Yishmael and his servant, talk, speaking of Abraham, Abraham his, his, and his two attendants he took with him, one was Yishmael and one was Eliezer, which by the way, Eliezer was from the household of uh, Nimrod, so when Adam, when uh, Abraham was taken from the fiery furnace in Babylon, then uh, he was rewarded with Eliezer uh, from the household of Nimrod. So, yeah, there's that. <clears throat> but those two individuals had to stay with the donkey while Abraham and Yitzhak went up the mountain for the Akedah. That's Bereshit 22. So Esav or Yishmael here is connected with the donkey. So it says Esav represents the contamination and impurity of Yitzhak's attribute of Givora, 
He is the Klippa's version of Gavura, known as the Klippa of the Ox. Now, remember, Yosef is also called the Ox. So that's why you can see that Asaph has really held on to Yosef and has really proclaimed him and really uh, just kind of revealed that secret about who the Mashiach truly is. Because there is there are two Mashiachs who are actually one. So Bezrat Hashem will get to that. But uh, many of us know that. So, um, But for the rest of us uh, who would like to get more source on that, that'd be great. Um, <clears throat> Sika. So these two klipot, headed by Esav and Yishmael, are appointed to lead the 70 nations of the world. So Krizlam, when they get together, they're going to lead the whole world in rebellion against Torah, against Judaism, against Hashem, ultimately. And that's why you can see in the passage of Revelation where the many come against Yerushalayim and Hashem shows up and just slays everybody with his breath, which his breath is the fear of Hashem and all that kind of stuff. So anyway, uh, so there uh, it says that the ministering angel of Asaph stands in charge of 35 nations on the left, which is Gevora. So remember Gevora and Chesed, Gevora is on the left, Chesed is on the right. So when you put this golden calf in the middle here and put Gevora on one side and Chesed on the other side, like the head and the tail, you get this picture. So Asaph is uh, the one that's on the left, which is Gevora, which that would be the tail, that would be the legs, okay, because the, the legs are the legs of an ox. And then you have uh, the ministering angel Yishmael stands in charge of the 30 nations on the right side of the klipa. So this is the head. So the head is towards uh, Chesed, which is Yishmael, which is the donkey. Because we go back to the Tikkuni, it says that the upper half towards the head resembled an ox. Oh, Slika, so I just said that all backwards. The head is Asaph, and he's towards the left. So the, the calf is going from uh right to left okay so the tail is on the right the head is on the left so i guess it's actually going from left to right if you really look at if you want to go from head to toe then it's left to right so asaf to yishmael kind of thing okay anyway sleek out for the confusion asaf gavura left that's the head of the of the golden calf ministering angel of yishmael right side okay that's the tail and that is the donkey okay that is islam Okay, so Christianity head, Islam tail, put the two together, golden calf, Chrislam. Okay, so now it says, hence the Torah prohibited joining them together, i.e. do not plow using an ox and a donkey together, for a grave danger exists when uniting these two for forces, since they are the root of all the forces of impurity, which is called Tumah contained among the 70 nations of the world. So when you think about the 35 on the left, the 35 on the right, 35 plus 35 is 70. That also happens to be the Ayin of Yeshua. And if you look at really Yeshua being the one who we're supposed to yoke with, you have to be equally yoked. And Yeshua is actually Mashiach ben Yosef and Mashiach ben David. So you really look at Yosef the ox David is the lion, so that's an interesting yoke to put together, but <laughs> there's all that to really kind of develop out, but to kind of keep going to not get too much more off track. 
So it says that Nechash, which is a serpent, is actually an abbreviation for serpent, donkey, and ox. So whenever you look at the yoking of the ox and the donkey, that's actually the serpent, which is actually one, but it's made of two. And that's why we talked about the two serpents. And that's why you could see that Yishmael was actually the servant of Yitzhak, which you go into Chaye Sarah, that Torah portion. And it talks about that when Abraham signed over his uh, inheritance to uh, Yitzhak, his son, so that Eliezer could go to the household where Rivka was, he could present all that Yitzhak owned. And among the things owned was Yishmael. So Yishmael actually was not a brother per se to Yitzhak. He was actually property because he was born of a slave woman. So the son of a slave woman was actually the property of the son of the free woman. And then you get down to uh, Yaakov and Esau, who are the sons of Yitzhak. Then you see that actually... Uh, Yitzhak gave up his birthright and pretty much removed himself from the household. And all he could do was be a mighty warrior and live by the sword. And that's pretty much it. And you think about why Christianity has the emblem of a sword as their main symbol. I mean, cross. I mean, sword. I mean, whoa. Because Constantine totally gave that to Christianity based off of a dream he had about a sword overlaid with a dagger. And the form of a cross. So the cross is actually a sword, which is Asaph. So you really got to study Torah portions and all these things will come out. And uh, as far as trying to get the whole scoop all together, you got to just really take time. You got to. I didn't learn everything that I'm saying to you in one sitting. I learned this over six years and through lots of pain, through lots of persecution uh, from families uh, and co-workers is how I learned all this and uh, almost losing the faith completely because I like to learn very, very fast. And sometimes when you like to learn fast, that actually shoots you in the foot with like a bazooka. And it's like, oh, I don't have a foot now. It's like, oh, great. I'm like a one-legged pirate. And it's just like, anyway, but uh, Brugashem that he has restored me. And um you just gotta you just gotta stick with your Torah portions. You gotta glean from Judaism. You gotta have a rabbi. Okay? If Rabbi Griffin's not your rabbi, I encourage you to make him your rabbi. But uh, if you you just need to make sure you have a rabbi who's Torah observant, who Bezrat Hashem follows and exemplifies Mashiach Yeshua. And also you wanna really make sure that you're being led into a path of righteousness and not vice versa. Any rabbi who tells you to glorify the desires of the flesh and makes provisions for doing that, then, uh, you know, run away. But if he's going to encourage you to strive and grow and press towards the high mark, which is increasing your Torah observance, slowly, surely submit yourself to the community and to walk in step with the Ruach HaKodesh, which is following Torah, then uh, yeah, that's the that's your guy. That's who you want to go with. So anyway, that we know that the golden calf is Islam, Christianity, da 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 da, and Ishmael and Islam and all that crazy stuff. That's all broken through um, Shabbat, and actually he brings up later that um, 
Yishmael has Fridays, like the prep day, as their big holy day. And Christians have Sundays, which is Yom Rishon, as their big holy day. And Shabbat is right in the middle. And so by the very fact of keeping Shabbat, you keep those two actually separated, even on a on a calendar, Slika, on a calendar schedule. So there's all of that. To finally read Matthew 28, it says, Yeshua came to them and said, all authority, this is verse 18 through 20. This is commonly called the Great Commission. And it's kind of like, it's so great, but no one's been on the commission. Because like I said, for the past 2,000 years, what in the world has been going on? So all authority in Hashemayim and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make Talmudim. Okay, what is a Talmud? Talmud is a follower of a Rebbe. What is a Rebbe? A teacher of Torah. Okay, so you should go out and make people who follow a Rebbe who teaches Torah. Just saying, that's pretty much what this is. And it literally says, go and make Talmudim of all nations. All nations mean people who are not Jewish and people who are Jewish because Jews are actually called a nation like Goy, but they're called Goy Kadosh or Goy HaKadosh, the holy nation. You know, I should make you a holy nation, a royal priesthood, you know, that whole thing, kings and priests and living stones built into a spiritual temple. That's where that comes from. So Jews and Gentiles go out. Make Talmudim of them and immerse them. Okay? Literally, tovel them. And where do you tovel a human body? In a place called a mikveh. And when you tovel someone, that means to dip them. Like, that's why baptism is the thing that it is. That's why you dip. And notice they say, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Ruach HaKodesh. And it's interesting when you study the mikveh that the top... The middle and the bottom of the mikveh, like the water itself, because the water is 40 se'af, like a cube, like the tablets. That's the weight of a mikveh, commonly known as 40 gallons or so. And within that cube, you have the top and the bottom and the middle. And those are three names of Hashem. So the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit are the names that are the mikveh. And the person is to be immersed in that. And when you immerse someone who's not Jewish in a mikveh and someone who is Jewish in a mikveh, that is to make them born again. And when they rise up out of the water the first time, they say a bracha. Now, you have to be immersed in Mashiach Yeshua. This is why Acts chapter 2 becomes the thing to pay attention to because it says, Yehudim from all around came to Yerushalayim for the festival of Shabbat. And Kepha gives this crazy drosh. While tongues of fire are coming down, and this is the same holiday that the giving of the Torah happened, where tongues of fire came down and danced among the camps of the children of Israel in Parashah Yitro and the end of Mishpatim. But anyway, uh, so all this is going on, and Kepha says, yeah, so be baptized. And it's just like, but we're Jewish. It's like, yeah, but, you know, uh, everything is renewed now. Like the actual work of Mashiach ben Yosef is initiated. Everything that we were anticipating and looking towards in the Tanakh from the oral Torah when Mashiach would come, uh, that's happened. So now we're going to immerse into that. The same way we had to come out of Egypt, wash our clothes and immerse ourselves so that we could receive the Torah, we have to do the same thing to receive Mashiach Yeshua and the coming kingdom 
of Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben David. Because you remember, after we originally received the Torah, that was broken. And the covenant had to be renewed. So we had to do everything over again and receive those tablets. So now we're going to receive anew the sapphire tablets now, not just the stone tablets. Because the body of Mashiach Yeshua is the stone is the sapphire tablets and then he was broken and resurrected anew and then it's like okay so like now the sapphire tablets are back together like completely like it's all remade it's all renewed and this is the epitome of the new covenant is that it's supposed to be the renewal of the same covenant but now instead of being external it's internal that's why Mashiach Yeshua has to be on the inside of us. We're clothed in him, but then we're filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, which is when we're filled with the Ruach HaKodesh, we're filled with the covenant. We're filled with Torah. We're filled with the blood of Yeshua HaMashiach, which is the life of Yeshua. Because remember, the life is in the blood. Uh, so if you weren't Jewish by birth, you're definitely Jewish by rebirth. And if you were Jewish by birth, and then you get rebirth into Messiah Yeshua because he says in Yochanan chapter 3, you have to be born again. You have to be born from above. You have to be reborn by the Spirit. Just like the first Adam, he was born by the Spirit. A bunch of virgin births are just what's supposed to happen through this immersion process. So now the last verse, verse 20, and teach them to obey all that I have commanded you. And remember, Yeshua has a Torah. It's called the Torah of Messiah which is the renewed Torah that Hashem originally gave us before we sinned with the fruit in the garden. The Torah is black fire written on white fire. And that's why, you know, he will immerse you in water and fire, you know, because in order for us to be able to receive the Torah of Messiah, we have to be immersed into that. Okay, so again, just doubling back on that. And this is the Torah that we are engaged in now where we're understanding things of it's deeper insights basically like uh, if you look at a woman lustfully that's committing adultery and it's just like but i didn't even touch her it's like but you looked at her lustfully so it's beyond the letter of the law is what i'm getting at okay so that is a primordial torah and it even goes deeper than that and that's going to take us being resurrected and being brought into the alam haba before we can even get on that level so you can also read Messiah texts about what's called New Torah. New Torah is a Jewish terminology for Torah of Mashiach or Torah as it will be taught in the heavenly yeshiva in the Alam Haba. And I and by the way, the head of that yeshiva, the Rosh Yeshiva, the teacher of the yeshiva is Memtet, which we know is Mashiach Yeshua. He says, teach them to obey all of that. Because after you immerse and after you become a Talmud, you will be receptive and able to walk in that because your Yetzirah is constantly being subdued. That's why you're taking captive every thought in Messiah. That's why you're clothing yourself anew with Messiah. That's why you're immersing yourself in his teachings every day. That's why you're binding and attaching yourself to him. And when you're yoking with him, you're laying aside every weight that's so easily entangled. You're fixes, fixing your eyes upon him who is the author, perfecter, and finisher of your Emuna. So all of that. And that is what this verse is talking about. And it says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So now that that's there, B'nai Yosef, 
What we also have to be is this, as Rabbi Griffin brings down from uh, Parsha Teruma and the fifth Aliyah, which he actually went into the sixth Aliyah, talking about the copper altar in the Mishkan. As we're closing this out about the altar and the word copper. Nehoshet has the first, the, the, the root, the root of copper is Nehash, which means serpent. The gematria of Nehash is the exact same gematria as Mashiach. So there's a connection between the serpent and Mashiach. He who knew no sin became sin that we might become the righteous of God. So I was looking at this and thinking, we have uh, Nehash at the root of copper, which copper is about the Mashiach, the suffering Messiah. But if we add the Tav, we add 400. What does that mean? What's the gematria? What is the Tav equal to in terms of gematria? And the very first thing that pops up in terms of gematria comes from Genesis chapter 2 and verse 7, where it says, uh, And Adonai God formed the man of dust. The phrase Ha'adam Hafar, the man of dust, is equivalent to 400, the gematria of Tav. So this teaches us an interesting lesson. That when we come to the altar of God and we lay our life down, we become like men of dust. Because we're no longer... We no longer elevate ourselves in our own eyes. We're no longer rebelling against God. We become like Abraham who said to God, I am but dust and ash. And if you think about it, men of dust go to an altar and we put our lives on the altar and we become spiritual ash. We are but dust and ash. And uh, the curse to the serpent was that you'll eat of the dust of the earth. In other words, you're not going to have any power, Nachash. Because when you come to strike man who's made teshuva, you'll be striking at the dust. In other words, it will have no effect. Because the person will have nullified themselves in order to become like this, the, the, the primordial Adam, likened to Mashiach. And when you strike at them and when you accuse them, you'll end up eating the dust because they will have become nothing but dust and ash. All right, so... You look at the fact of becoming dust and ash, lowering ourselves. Uh, we actually say that in the, the Amidah uh, at the conclusion, where we say, may, may my soul be like dust to everyone. And that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to be lowering ourselves to this point. And as we do that, being born again, being renewed, we are through Yosef. Now connect that with this, Kol Hator. The voice of the turtle dove, through uh, two forty, okay. Kol Hator two, verse forty or section forty. His, which is Yosef, his bow, abode in strength, as written in Bereshit forty nine twenty four. This should be an important principle for us. We have to stand obstinately strong in the holy work of gathering in the exiles which is the task of the first redeemer, i.e. Mashiach ben Yosef. And as that wasn't enough, when you get into the Midrash Rabbah, 
This is Midrash Rabbah 49.1. It says, gather yourselves together. And it says that from the land of Egypt and assemble yourselves into Ramses. Gather yourselves together from the exile of the ten tribes. Assemble yourselves to the tribes of Yehuda and Benjamin. Now, if you really look at what this is saying, this is saying, make yourself into Israel. Join together the two sticks of Ephraim and Yehuda. There were ten tribes in the north and two in the south. The kingdom of Israel was in the north and the kingdom of Judah was in the south. The kingdom of Israel was under the head of Ephraim, which is codenamed for Yosef. And Mashiach ben Yosef, Mashiach ben Ephraim, same thing. That's that whole ten tribes that were lost originally. And then it says that the two, those ten have to be gathered to the two, which was Yehuda and Benjamin, which is Judah, which is Mashiach ben David. So join together the two Mashiachs, which include all twelve tribes. So Mashiach is the twelve tribes. So if you're in Mashiach, you're part of the twelve tribes, which again is why there's only twelve gates in the New Jerusalem that you can enter into. And there are only names of the tribes. So, there's that. So, if you're not a part of the 12 tribes, you're going to have a hard time getting into Yerushalayim. Then, it also says here in this Midrash Rabbah selection, He thus commanded them to show honor to the tribes of Yehuda and Benjamin. Rabbi Aha interpreted the word Hey, Asefu, which is purify yourselves, as in the verse, and they gathered themselves together and purified themselves from Nehemiah. And uh, this was actually going on at the end of Nehemiah when there was the whole thing about everybody coming back from Babylon, exile, the Babylonian exile. And uh, a lot of them had non-Jewish wives. And Ezra and Nehemiah are like, what are you doing? Uh, that is not right. Uh, get rid of your wives, i.e. make them convert. To Judaism so that you can stay married or you divorce them. Well, if, if you convert them anyway, you have to get married again because now you can actually make a legitimate marriage. But since they're not Jews and you're supposed to be Jews and you're married to them, that doesn't count because you're not supposed to marry a woman from like non-Jewishness. So there's all that. So purifying yourself has to do with remove yourself from uh, your connections and ties with covenants of the nations and bring yourselves back into Torah kind of thing. And that's what Yeshua called us to do, by the way. Called us to divorce our sin, divorce our idolatry, our goyishness, and get ourselves married and attached to Torah, Yeshua, Yisrael, kingdom, Hashem, okay? So then it says, the rabbis say, he warned them against dissension, bidding them, be ye all one assembly. Thus it is says, and you, son of man, take the one stick and write upon it for Yehuda and for the children of Israel, his companions. Yehezekel, that is 15 or 17. Sliga. Yehezekel, hang on, this is in Roman numerals. <laughs> Let's do, uh, dun dun dun. dun. Yes, that is uh, Yehezekiel 17, 16. All right, Rukashim. And then it says that his companion, it is written, 
when the children of Israel untie one band, then they may prepare themselves for redemption. For what follows this? And I will make them one nation in the land. And that's further in verse 22. That's all found in Bereshit Rabbah um, XCV, which uh, I don't know what that is in Roman numeral, but I can figure that out real quick. That is 98. Okay, Brukashem. Bereshit XCVIII. <laughs> Man, Roman numerals. Goodness. Um, so Bereshit Rabbah 98. Has all that So I'm bringing that all up Is because it's all about gathering in And then jump over here To Rabbi Gbom Who says this Like it's okay The gathering Consisted of all of Adat Yisrael The community of Yisrael The Zohar beginning of Vayakel States specifically that this community Was made up of all Who remained faithful to the true covenant of Israel, accepting no deviation from the Torah and no prophet other than Moshe. So now, if you think about all the prophets, the prophets are all linked to Moshe. So if we're talking Yeshayahu, we're talking Moses. If we're talking Yehezekiel, we're talking Moses. If we're talking Nehemiah, we're talking Moses. Because there was none that arose in Israel greater than Moshe. There was no other prophet like Moshe. So, yeah, that's ridiculous. And it says the Zohar emphasizes that they could only build the sanctuary after being purged of the mixed multitude who went astray after the golden calf, which was half ox, Edom, Christianity, which is Rome, and it says, and half donkey, Yishmael, Islam. Both deviated from the fun. Get this. They deviated from the finality of the Torah and the supremacy of Moshe as God's true prophet, seeking to displace them like dispensationalism. Church now is the new Israel kind of thing, uh, seeking to displace them in different ways by erecting new prophets. OK, taking all sorts of theologians over the centuries and being like yeah these guys have clout to comment on torah and really lead us in the right way and when we say torah we don't really mean the old testament we really mean the new testament but anyway i digress so seeking to displace them in different ways erect new prophets and intermediaries standing between man and god they and all the nations are excluded from the membership of Adat Yisrael from the contributing to the sanctuary. Because you realize with the return of Mashiach will be the rebuilding of the, the third temple, the Beit HaMikdash. And um, I want to go to the Midrash says for uh, Parsha Ketisa, because when we really look at this mixed multitude thing, this is the this is the nations that decided to align themselves with Israel to leave Egypt. So Moshe was like, yeah, bring them on. Come on, get in here. You you circumcise yourself. You put the blood on the doorpost. You ate from the pace like lamb. Yeah, come on. And it's just like, but but they don't know anything about Judaism. They've been in Jewish for like five minutes. And Moshe's like, great. They're worthy of the redemption. 
This is why the parable of the, the wages, Sleek Eye, is so important because there are people who started working earlier in the day and those who came later in the day and everybody made the same amount. And the people who worked earlier were like upset. And the, the owner, the one who was in charge of paying people was saying, are, are you going to be upset with me because I'm generous with my money? So it doesn't matter if you've been a Jew for five minutes or for 15,000 years. Uh, welcome. And uh, so, yeah. So anyway, what was going on is this mixed multitude. A lot of them really realized the error of their ways. And when Moshe said, if you're for Hashem, be on this side. And if you're not, then we're coming for you. Uh, a lot of them shook out the cobwebs and were like, oh, I don't know. I'm sorry. We don't know what we're doing here. My bad. And they made shuva. But a lot of people didn't make shuva, which is the 3,000 who died. And that's why it's important to know that the mixed multitude wasn't just that 3,000. There were like over 2 million or so, like there were mixed multitude, by the way. So this 3,000 was actually a very stubborn, brazen group that was like, did you know that worshiping the golden calf was wrong? Because Hashem said, don't worship idols and bow to them. And they said, yeah, we know that. And it's like, well, you know, you can receive the death penalty for that. And they're like, yep, we know that. Uh, you might. Do, would you like to refrain from doing that? No, we wouldn't like to. And they died. Because there's a due process in Judaism. If you haven't been warned or told about something, you cannot be held reliable. But if you do know, you're reliable. You need to make shuva when you find out the error of your ways. You can't just keep going, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I'm going to keep doing this though. But if you're like, oh my gosh, I did not realize, I'm so sorry, Hashem, I return myself to you. If you're going to be a person of Shuva, then Baruch Hashem, that's what you're supposed to be. Which, by the way, Rabbi Griffin really pointed that out uh, this past Shabbat, that may we be people who are Baal Shuvas. People who are masters of repentance. Because that's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to every single day. When Hashem returns our souls to our bodies, we say the Modeani, we wash our hands and enter into Shakarid and Torah study. That is us today choosing who we serve, choosing life, walking in Torah, walking in mitzvah, walking in newness of life. You have to do that. You have to put, that's why Shaul writes it. You have to put on the new self, i.e., you have to keep putting it on. Like it's an active verb there. You got to put it on. It's not like, oh yeah, I put it on already, so I don't have to put it on anymore. It's like, you realize that the only way that the children of Israel made it through the Yom Suf was because they made Teshuvah after they made Teshuvah. So anyway, uh, just to kind of clear the air on the mixed multitude stuff, and uh, on my Kitisa Drop Zone podcast, which is like 15,000 hours long, I went into all of that. So if you want more information, you can check all that out. But anyway, um, Moshe, after all this craziness and stuff ensued and he goes uh, back up to, uh, <laughs> man, okay, check this out. After 40 days of, un this is Midrash says, Parshakitisa. After 40 days of unceasing prayer, Hashem finally agreed to spare Yisrael, not in their own merit, but on the account of their forefathers. So, yeah, so anyway, so Moshe on the last day of Av, uh, return to the people so this is the second stay on the mountain so i just thought that was interesting that we are forgiven not in our own merit so if you're thinking work my way to hashem through torah and mitzvot it's not in your merit so anyway um 
where I wanted to go was there's this little thing about Moshe moving his tent outside the camp. And it says that um, by the different manner in which all the people prostrated themselves before the Shekinah, Hashem saw how great their longing was for the return of the Shekinah. Because when Moshe went out to the tent, the, the Shekinah followed him there, the cloud dropped down and all that kind of stuff, and the people prostrated themselves. And it's just like, this is outside the camp. And the people are inside the camp, looking outside the camp, which was the, by the way, that direct, that distance is the distance of the temple to the Mount of Olives. That's the distance that Moshe's camp was pitched out. Moshe's tent was pitched outside the camp, that distance, which is called a Shabbat's walk. Okay, a Shabbat's walking distance, which is the space between the ark and the camp when they traveled. That's the same space. So what's actually going on here, if you really think about it? So Hashem is seeing that the people are like, they're so far away from me. They're inside the camp and they're they're prostrating at a distance. So like I need to put the shaking back in the camp because the people have they've made shuva instead of prostrating before the golden calf. They're prostrating before me, even though I'm far from them. And it's just like, so if you're going to draw near to Hashem, he wants to draw near to you. Yaakov wrote that in his letter. And then it says, so in the Midrash over here, it says, by the different manner in which the people had prostrated themselves before the Shekinah, Hashem saw how great their longing was for the return of the Shekinah. He said to Moshe, if both the Rebbe and the student display anger. So Moshe is the student of Hashem. Just like Mashiach says that he is the student of Hashem. Like I.e. I only do what I see my father and Hashemayim doing. And by the way the Rebbe Talmud relationship is a father son relationship. Anyone who takes on a rabbi they take on a father. And this is why it is you have to be willing to leave your father and mother kind of thing. Because your parents... Your mother and your father who birth you, they birth you into this world. But your rabbi and his wife, they birth you into the world to come. So, yeah, there's all that. And there's a whole thing in Jewish Judaism about, you know, if your father was in prison or if your rabbi, rabbi was in prison, you free your rabbi. And based off of that premise. So unless your father is going to be like, well, I'm sorry, son, I really will teach you in Torah. And it's just like, well, you haven't proven that, I guess. I don't know. Honor your parents and stuff. So, yeah, you got to do that. But. Your Rebbe is also considered your father. Basically is where I wanted to go with that. And uh, yeah. So really, truly someone who's going to bring you into the next world is what you want to uh, focus on. This is why everyone who followed after Yeshua, he said, if you're not willing to leave your mother and your father, then you're not worthy of me. If you love your, your father, your sister, your mother, your brother, your daughter, your cousin, or anything of your possessions more than you love me, you're not worthy of me. So yeah, so that, that really stirs up a lot of stuff, right? <laughs> so many of us who have entered into Lapid Judaism, we, we know that, believe that, and trust that. Because man, it happens. You're just like tears and letters of family members like, I can't believe you do this to us. What would your grandmother think? And all this kind of stuff. And it's just like, oh my gosh, the, the yoke of Mashiach is real. <laughs> Pun intended, because it's Israel. Okay, but anyway... Um, it says, so the, the Rebbe and the student shouldn't display anger towards the nation of Israel. 
how will they survive? So if there is no Hashem for Israel, if there is no Mashiach for Israel, they cannot survive. So Hashem says, return to the camp. Moshe says, I will not return. And Hashem says, if so, your student, i.e. your son, will take your place. Hashem told him, you know that my anger at them was for your honor. So it pleased the father to crush his son because it spared the nation. And Caiaphas, who was actually a Roman appointed Cohen, which I don't know how that happened, who also did a whole lot of stuff as a Cohen he wasn't supposed to do, like namely ripping the ephod. He said he, he still was able to prophesy truth because, you know, Hasatan prophesied truth. That's how we got into all this mess with the, the fruit. Because he was actually speaking truth. It was just, he was really telling us to go against Hashem, though. But anyway, because um, he was saying that the tree, you know, like it, it has all these different benefits from it, you know. And it's like, so this is Orhakim, by the way. And uh, Adam and Hava didn't realize that. And it was like, but it's like, if you go back a minute and think about what Hashem actually told you, if you really are filled with the spirit and, and think about these things, connect all the dots and follow the bouncing ball on the screen, then you would know what the serpent's telling you is actually taking the tour of Hashem and rerouting it to somewhere else to get you to go against Hashem. But anyway, I digress. So Hashem was angry with Israel for the honor of Moshe. So Oh, Slika, this is for Moshe. Moshe is saying that he was angry with Israel because of the honor of Hashem. So now, not only have I just said what I said, and it also being an improper understanding of what I just read, but that also opens up another side to the thing that Moses is upset because the honor of Hashem is profaned. And he's now being disobedient to Hashem, which go back to the fruit that Adam and Hava were upset because of what the serpent was saying. And so now that they're upset, they're eating from the tree and then they're like, oh, we went against Hashem. Whoops. And furthermore, take that to the tikkun of why it was important for us to know Yeshua said, forgive them, Father, for they know not what they do. Because the people who yelled in his face, crucify him, crucify him, and slandered him all the way uphill to where he was supposed to go to be crucified, he forgave them the whole time and didn't hold any anger or malice against them, nor did he argue back with them. Okay, this is getting out of hand. Um, so anyway, yeah, so whether you look at it for Hashem's honor or Moshe's honor, there's uh, fruit on both sides that are just kind of like, or insights on both sides. Fruit on both sides. Yeah, I guess so. Okay, but anyway, because there was also fruit on the tree of life, by the way. Which if we would have ate that first, we would have been totally fine. Because that would have given us the, the way, the truth, and the life to navigate through the knowledge of good and evil. So, yeah, there's all that. Because, by the way, we were supposed to eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil when Shabbat came. Which Shabbat would have nullified the Yetzahara, which would have never showed up after we ate the fruit. And we would have been able to expound upon the glorious riches of Mashiach 
because Rebbe Nachman calls Memtet the tree of knowledge, good and evil. And that's why Moshe said, don't send this angel with us if your presence is not going to go. If your presence is not going to go because we're going to be tempted to sin again. And then he's going to wipe us out. And then we'll be back in the same predicament we were in before. And so, I mean, it's just so much. Anyway, it's not what I meant to go into. But anyway, um, B'nai Yosef, right? So it says that, nevertheless, he returned to the camp prompted by the threat that Yehoshua might be appointed in his stead. He tried, however, to revoke Hashem's decree that the Shekinah would no longer lead B'nai Yisrael. I do not accept your decision that an angel will lead us, he said to Hashem. If so, I prefer not to travel away from here at all. So yeah. So anyway, now it's getting it. I just might as well read it. Okay. Swerve. We've already swerved. It's too late. He prayed, didn't you promise to lead us personally? Even though you knew about the future sin of the golden calf, nevertheless, you assured us, I myself will descend to save them from Egypt and I will bring them to the land. How can you now say that you will send a messenger in front of us? If you deal with us in this manner, we will no longer be distinguished from all the other nations. They have prophets and we have prophets too. They are guided by a guardian angel. And now you propose that we too be led by a guardian angel. Which by the way, the word for guardian angel is Sar. So when you look at Sar Shalom, the guardian angel Shalom, there's that. Which means Mashiach is our guardian angel. Because he's the one who's called Shalom. Anyway, so he says, how can I accept this change of leadership? And by the way, the whole threat about Yehoshua going back to the camp is because had Yehoshua went back to the camp instead of Moshe, the Shekinah would have left with Yehoshua and went back into the camp. Which leads me to Parsha Vayaki and the Midrash says, because of this, the children of Yosef, Ephraim and Manasseh. Check this out. So Asenat is the name of, of Yosef's wife, daughter of Patifera, okay? And she ultimately was a daughter of Dina and Shechem. So there's all that. And it says, so receiving a blessing, this is what Asenat said. This is the wife of Yosef, okay? The wife of Azadik said this. Receiving a blessing from Azadik is equivalent to receiving a blessing from Hashem. Take our sons to Yaakov that he may bless them. Okay, so anyway, so that all happens. He goes, takes his sons, he listens to his wife because she's an Eshek Chayil. And then, um, so what happens? So Yaakov wanted to bless Yosef's sons. Suddenly the Ruach HaKodesh departed from him. Because he saw in a prophetic vision that Reshaim, wicked ones, would descend from them. The idolatrous king, Jehu, which is Yahu, or Yehu over here. And from Manashe, King Ahav, like King Ahab, which was the prophets of Baal. Uh, he was married to Ezabel. And uh, check out Haftarah Kitisa and you'll find out about that. And King Echav was from Ephraim, i.e. he was descended from Manasseh, but he was from the land of Ephraim. Because remember I said 
that when you look at the ten tribes, they're actually under Ephraim. So if you have a king descended from Manasseh, who was a part of the ten tribes, not the two tribes, then he would be called from Ephraim. So with all of that going on, again, the past 2000 years of what's been going on with the B'nai Yosef movement, we've had lots of wickedness sprout up from amongst us, i.e. we believe in Yeshua, but we don't want the law of Mosesness that's been coming out, right? But that doesn't mean Ephraim and Benashe followed that path because they stay true to Yaakov. They stay true to Israel. Just like what I'm about to read to you now. Check it out. So, what ended up happening? Yosef put his sons between Yaakov's knees. And Yaakov kissed and embraced them. But nevertheless, the Ruach HaKodesh did not return to him. Yaakov therefore attempted to divert Yosef's attention by speaking about a different subject, telling him, I never dared to think that I would ever see your face again and now God has shown me your offspring too. Now, this is important because if you are brand new to Torah and you're filled with the spirit of Hashem and you are walking after Mashiach Yeshua, making you a Ben Yosef, um, Judaism wants to try to throw swerves at you and they're called anti-missionaries. But this is why it's important that you follow Yosef because Yosef keys in on Yaakov doing the whole swerve thing. And I'm not calling Yaakov an anti-missionary, but I'm saying anti-missionaries use what Yaakov is using here, which is trying to talk about something different. And uh, what's really horrible is that anti-missionaries actually take Torah principles and twist them. So that's actually even worse. And Yaakov didn't even do any of that. So more than just a, hey, look over here, squirrel, um, are the anti-missionaries. But as Yaakov is going into a different subject, according to this Midrash, Yosef realized that his father was unable to bless Ephraim and Menashe. So he didn't call him out. Okay, He didn't say, Father, what are you doing? He just said, you know what? Let's fix this. So he says, he took them from between Yaakov's knees, beseeched Hashem for mercy that the Ruach HaKodesh should once again return to Yaakov. Master of the universe, he pleaded, are my sons unworthy? To his sons, he said, whatever worldly greatness you possess is only transitory. Pray that the Ruach HaKodesh may rest upon my father, that he may bless you. So in other words, put away your worldly desires and your worldly aspirations as far as what, what, what is going to be your ultimate allegiance. Is it going to be your riches or is it going to be Hashem? Can't serve two gods, basically. And so he tells them to pray. And then both Yosef and his sons prayed and fell on their knees entreating Hashem that he should let the Shekinah rest on Yaakov again. The Shekinah then immediately returned because Hashem never refuses the tefillot, the prayers, of the members of the tribe of Yosef if they beseech Hashem in earnest and fall on their faces. What are you saying, Amit? This is what I'm saying. I'm actually going to say this from... First of all, Baba Metzia, 84a. Rabbi Yossi Bar Hanina said, 
This idea is derived from Bereshit 48.16. Let them grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. Just as with regard to fish and the sea, the waters covers them and the evil eye therefore has no dominion over them. As they are not seen, so too with regard to the offspring of Yosef, the evil eye has no dominion over them. And you look at what that's saying. If we're really aligning ourselves with Mashiach Yeshua and really beseeching Hashem to return and um, asking that, you know, all of Israel will be brought back together, the temple be rebuilt, the end gathering of the exiles, that whole picture. Know that Mashiach, who is interceding at the right hand of the Father with us, is also praying the same thing, and that prayer will be answered. But we have to do this in earnest, and we have to continually do it. So Mashiach, where, who, or Mashiach, who, what, why, how, when, and where, or how, where, when. Okay, Mashiach, who, what, why, how, where, when. Goodness. The W's and the H of Mashiach, okay? All of that. Anything about Mashiach. Page 56. Complementing the building of the Holy Temple, Mashiach must also gather the exiled Jewish nation to the Holy Land. Okay? This is why it's, under, it's important to understand. Oh, by the way, Tehillim 147.2. God builds Jerusalem. He and gathers the scattered of Israel. So it just said Mashiach must also gather the, Jew, the exiles. Anyway, um, it's important to know Second Kepha, uh, two or First Kepha two five. You are living stones built up into a spiritual temple. Okay, so all of that's happening. That's a reflection of the physicalness of what we're doing in the Great Commission. So it says exile is not only a physical condition, condition, but it's also a state of mind. As the verse states, Yeshayahu five thirteen. Also, Sanhedrin ninety two a. My nation has gone into exile because it has no knowledge. Okay? And then it says, By partaking of the tree of knowledge, Adam fell from his level of true knowledge, which is, by the way, Da'at. So ultimately, Da'at is the, the key here, and that's the Torah, and that's Devarim 33.2 from his fiery right hand. He gave us a fiery, from his right hand, he gave us a fiery law, which is Dot. The Torah is called the fire knowledge, the fire Da'at. Okay? His intellect and that of all mankind, his descendants now contains a mixture of good and evil. This fall from true knowledge called caused Adam's exile from the Garden of Eden. And so it is today. Mankind's descent from the pursuit of true knowledge of spirituality is the primary reason for all exiles. So furthermore, it goes on to say that through us all seeking for the spirituality, the true da'at, i.e. through us all returning to Torah, we rebuild the temple, which brings in the return of Mashiach. And so, all that being said, it takes B'nai Yosef to do that, and um, we, 
as followers of Mashiach Yeshua have to teach the deeper things of Torah. We have to get everyone back to the sources. We have to rise up as the true Lapidim and clear out all of the past history of all sorts of craziness and conglomerations that have gone on and cut up the golden calf, cut up these people being split between do I go to Christianity or do I go to Islam? Because Sometimes uh, branches of Judaism are closing the doors in the faces of people who want to know true Torah, i.e. true spirituality. We're supposed to be the lights of the world. We're supposed to teach Torah. We're, and, but as B'nai Yosef, we're doing the same thing that Moshe does, especially at Lapid, that we're just like, you're not Jewish? Not a problem. Come on in here. Get some food. Put on a tallit and uh, here's some ZZ, you know, and start having feeling with us and start davening with us. Start observing the festivals with us like you believe in Yeshua. That's beautiful because that's what we're centered on. Our Judaism is centered in Messiah Yeshua. And I might submit and it's very bold that if you are being observant in Judaism and you're not aware of Mashiach Yeshua and you don't know Yeshua, then your observance is missing a little flavor. And uh, it doesn't mean that we lack anything because obviously you'd be like, well, we're Sar Shalom's daily minion for uh, Ma'ariv and Shakarid and Minka. It's just like, well, no, we don't have that right now. But I guarantee you on Shabbat, we got a triple quadruple Minka or minion. And um, we fulfill that with the help of Hashem on Shabbats. So... Uh, but I guarantee you that more and more people are beginning to walk in the true knowledge of Hashem and we're gathering in and we're building the temple. So, you know, we're not shutting the door in people's faces and um, we're men of dust and we don't got no time for thinking that we're all that and excluding people and looking down on people and being... Um, you know, noses in the air walking around people who are not Jewish. And, uh, you know, so we're people of chesed, which is loving kindness, grace. And we're people of Torah, which is truth, which is knowledge of Hashem. Oh, yeah, that's the will of Hashem. Come on now. So if you want to know the will of Hashem for your life, that's what that is. And then we're people of avodah. Avodah, Torah, chesed. Avodah, prayer, worship, service charity kindness and that's what we do and so i'm sending this message out on a podcast to really just say b'nai yosef we have to bring the redemption it's upon us to uh to really stand firm to shine the light into the four corners of the world and to pray for the return of mashiach kol echad to bring in that unity that is necessary the word is akdut which when we say kol echad, we're talking about akdut. We're talking about the, the opposite of what destroyed the second temple, which was baseless hatred. We're talking about the opposite of that, which is baseless love, ahavat kinam. And that's the big push in Judaism right now because we're realizing that's the only thing left for us to tikkun. It's to stop hating each other and to start loving one another, to start serving one another, to start teaching Torah to people who don't know anything about Torah and don't look down on them. And if people want to convert, let them convert. Goodness. You're not Jewish just because your mother was Jewish, which is why I guess it's a uh, how fitting. You know, I'm going to close with uh, Shaul.
because in um, in the Egedit to the Romans, which by the way, doing a series on that, haven't made it out of chapter one yet, but Bezrat Hashem will do in time to come. But uh, it says that in chapter twenty or in chapter two, verse uh, twenty-eight, for he is not a real Jew who is one outwardly. Okay. In other words, if you want to look at all external factors, you know, mother was Jewish. I'm great. Like, you know, grandfather was great Rebbe. It's awesome. I grew up in a Jewish home. It's awesome. Well, it doesn't count if you're just inwardly Jewish. And you have to look at the fact that there are a lot of Jews in the world that are very not observant. And you know what? That's okay. Um, because if you really want to look at what we're supposed to be doing, we're supposed to be seeking after them. And really encouraging them to pick up observance. Okay. And then furthermore, it says that uh, in the same verse, true circumcision is of the heart by the spirit, not by the letter of the law. His praise is not from men, but, but from Hashem. And if you're only by the letter, you're what's called solo scriptor or Sadducee. And that is nothing to do with Judaism. That is like outside of Torah, like you would not believe. So whenever you see it's not by the law, it's by the spirit. It's like, yeah, because a Pharisee, which is actually a Torah true Jew, an Orthodox Jew, is one who is filled with the spirit of Hashem upholding the letter of the law. Yeah, so we keep Shabbat, but we're not like, yeah, we take one day out of the week and call it Shabbat whenever we want to and our Shabbat looks like this it's like no that's that's being solo scriptura that's being solely by the letter of the law which means that's not even Judaism then you go on to verse 3 or chapter 3 verse 1 then what advantage what is the advantage of the Jew what is the benefit of circumcision great in every every famous word coal like all in all respect, to begin with, just to say one thing, basically, he says, Jews were entrusted with the oracles of God, the very words, i.e. everything in the Tanakh, the promises and all that kind of stuff, the riches of the glories of Mashiach, basically. Salvation is of the Jews, from the Jews to the Jew first, then to the Gentile, right? All of that. So that's the first thing. And then he goes into a whole bunch of other stuff about you know, uh, being two-faced, basically. <laughs> so, uh, anyway, and then uh, at the end of this chapter, he says that, so then, do we nullify the law because of it's not by the letter, it's by our faith, you know, and, and all this kind of stuff. And it's like, well, no. Because we confirm and establish and uphold the law, okay, through our imuna. Because he says, our amuna, because it convicts us all of sin, which, by the way, is breaking Torah, lawlessness, i.e. anti-Moses is sin. So if you're anti-Moses, you're a sinner. And then it says, pointing to the need for salvation, which is deliverance from your anti-Moshe-ness. So through all of that, you establish the law. So in other words, you make a foundation for your observance. So anyway, just wanted to share that with you. Bezrat Hashem, this is encouraging. And um, 
inspirational, Bezrat Hashem. And uh, I encourage everyone to really press in and uh, press towards the high mark. And let's bring the redemption. Baruch Habab Hashem Adonai.